Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You're listening to Justice with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. In the series of Justice, we will explore the experiences of mothers in the justice system. From women who enter prison pregnant and give birth inside, to those who are separated from their children for imprisonment and involvement from social services. Each episode, I'll be speaking to expert guests and exploring what needs to change. In this episode, we explore pregnancy and birth in the justice system and what impact imprisoning pregnant women has on their safety and their babies. I spoke to Dr Laura Abbott, a registered midwife and associate professor in research at the University of Hertfordshire who has extensively researched women's experiences of pregnancy in criminal justice settings. My name is Laura Abbott. My background is in midwifery. I'm a senior lecturer in midwifery at the University of Hertfordshire, and I'm also an associate professor in research. And um, my research background is looking specifically at pregnant women and new mothers um, in prison and their experiences of prison life. Okay, and, and so you were a practicing midwife first. Is that what led you into the prison world? Or how did you transition from midwifery in the community, if that's what it was? To... Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Well, I started off um, as a nurse, so I qualified in 93 as a nurse, and I worked in intensive care for a little while. And then I, after I had my first son, um, I decided that was the trigger for me to go into midwifery. So I trained as a midwife, and I worked as a midwife, um, both in the NHS and also independently for um, several years before I went into teaching. So that's my background in midwifery. Um, and what I, when I started teaching midwifery, um, I knew quite early on that I wanted to do some research and I really wanted to do a doctorate. So I, I've always been really interested in working with those that are most marginalised and my... Um, the the sort of what I really wanted to do is look at uh, those women that might be really invisible to us and um, that's what drew me to looking into what happens to pregnant women in prison. Okay and and had you had women sort of come to you in hospital that were serving a prison sentence as such? So had you come across those women already? Not really, actually. So I hadn't really. I'd I'd worked with women who um, may have had more complex needs, complex issues, but I hadn't actually come across anyone who had um, been in prison. And I also had never been inside a prison. So you can imagine. um, Some weird draw. (laughs) I had this draw. Um, But also, you know, when you think, you know, I was a midwife and I was a teacher, um, 
lecturing. I'd never been in a prison. So how on earth was I going to get in to do this research? So that that was quite a journey in itself to, to actually get into prison. Yeah, and actually um, it might be worth just spending a couple of minutes on that because could you describe the process? Because lots of people want to do research in yes. prisons, which on the whole is a really important thing that needs to be done, but it's very difficult. And of course, it's I do understand the challenges of the prison service that if they have too many researchers um, all over the place, quite frankly, there yeah. aren't the staff to be able to be escorting them here, there and everywhere. So can you just explain a little bit of the process you have to yeah. go through? It was, a, I mean, it was a, pro, a re, I, th I think in a way um, the process is rigorous for a reason. And like you say, you can't, it, the prisons are people's homes as well. And I think um, when we're thinking about the sensitive nature of what we're researching, it's really important to, to have a rigorous ethical process for, for going in so it was in a way although my my journey into prison was quite complex I think it was justifiably so um so the way that I started out is that I, I knew that I needed some experience of of going into prison before I even started doing the research so what I did is um I contacted an amazing charity who I know you've heard of um birth companions yeah um and I trained to become a birth companion I what I did is um I I went through the same process as any volunteer would, and I still volunteer with Birth Companions, actually, because I strongly believe in their ethos. So I trained with them for nine months, and so that was every Saturday, and it, with an amazing group of women, and it was... The training was lovely for me as a midwife, actually, because it was very much about supporting pregnant women, um, and, and it was... It was a revision, but I learned so many new skills. So even before stepping foot inside a prison, I did that nine months training with them. And then I was able to become a volunteer. So I started volunteering inside of, um, in, in one of the prisons that they go into, doing antenatal groups. So I'm quite experienced with doing antenatal education, but it's very, very different inside a prison. Yeah, I was going to say, what were your um, sort of initial thoughts when you sort of went in and how do they differ, the antenatal groups, compared to in the community? I mean, women are the same everywhere. So when, when women are pregnant and they get together um, in a group, we, you're talking about your pregnancy, you're talking yeah. about the fact that you're feeling sick, you're talking about the fact that you're tired, um, and you're, you're talking about the birth and your fears, and the same issues come up wherever you are. You get a, a group of pregnant women together. The, the fears for women in prison is completely different, though, because it's not just about those things that we all worry about when we're pregnant. There's so many other layers on top of that. So doing antenatal groups in, in prison, I mean, what I noticed first about the prison itself, prisons themselves are, they're quite brutal places. Um, the atmosphere is tense. Um, and I, and I, I used to remember feeling and walking outside of a prison, it's almost like a, a, a breath of fresh air sort of relief yeah your, sh your yeah, shoulders, shoulders sort of come go, down don't you oh. they do it's like this relief when you when you come out um and I was very conscious that I could walk out of there um and I, you know I I really felt strongly that it must be to hold that tension and to hold that stress and knowing how how you try when you're pregnant to be as relaxed as possible because you know that stress can pass over and, and affect the baby, how it must feel for those women. So I would 
do the groups with, and it was always um, two, two or three of us birth companions that would do the groups. Groups of how many women? It really would depend, actually. Right. And it was always a choice. So women weren't made to come to these groups. Yeah, so it wasn't part choose. of their sentence no, or plan. Not at all. or no. not at all. It's always a choice. And I think what the women would say is it was a place just to feel normal for a little while um, and feel like a pregnant woman again. And that's that was quite nice within the groups that women would just say, you know, it's just nice just to feel feel normal yeah I've been pregnant a few times but of course on the outside and actually what we all talk a lot about don't we is the extra things we need as well as the what is what the hell is going on in my body and my mind yeah (laughs) and it's like the weird foods that you crave so I knew I was pregnant because I needed tuna and I don't really like tuna and I knew I was pregnant because I went off coffee um and I love coffee Mm -hmm. so so there's those extra sort of things that you really crave and need, yeah. which you, of course, can, to some extent, get on the outside when you live in the community yeah. that you are deprived of when you are on the inside. You can't just eat when you want. You can't have a bath. You no. can't. So could you sort of describe some of the particular challenges maybe that those women had in not being able to get their needs met? I think there are so many challenges um and and food is a massive massive issue it's huge you know for it, it's so intrinsic to all of our lives you know what you what you eat and when you have the choices taken away from you of what time you can eat um what you can eat uh the quality of what you eat and also the fact that you like you say when you're pregnant you feel sick often um, you might have heartburn. You are probably told by your midwife, well, if you're feeling a bit sick, just eat little and often. Have a cracker by the side of yeah, your bed. Yeah, I remember I yeah. ate crackers like a mouse, like yes. constantly, all day, yeah. every day, because I felt so sick. Absolutely. But if you're... You can't do that. You can't do that. And if you are, um, you know, if you're... If you're, if the prison's on lockdown and you are locked in a cell for 23 hours and you're feeling sick and feeling uncomfortable and when I did my research actually so I was sort of skipping about a bit but you know when I started doing my research and the prisons there was it was still smoking in prisons then so women um would be sharing a cell often with women who smoke and oh. or they may be on a wing on a smoking wing and that as well when women would say I feel so sick some women even started smoking when they were pregnant to relieve some of the stress and they thought well I may as well anyway um even if they didn't but that was that was something that was quite striking that that the women would because I would I would go and visit women um in their rooms in their cells and the 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 wings would be really really smoky and it's like you know there was like no choice about that um I mean we don't have that we don't have smoking in prisons now um but still it, it it's quite it just really struck me sort of the environment and the, the good thing about the research that I did it was an ethnographic research which basically means that you know I sort of hung around prisons to really understand the environment I thought I cannot possibly understand what it's like to be pregnant in prison if I don't spend some time days and days being you know we're in the same spaces that these yeah, women are and sort of all the time all the time what sort yeah. of time would you go in and leave and I'd could go you... in quite early I mean it was it was really again all of that process was really interesting because um I remember there was one particular time that I'd booked some field work I'd booked quite a long time of field work and um something uh, there'd been an incident in one of the prisons and I wasn't allowed in and it was so um, and you know and I had to organize my kids and I'd had to yeah you know, it was only so I mean it's sort of 
not massive, massive issues, but that was really stressful. Mm. Um, you know, n never knowing whether I'd be allowed in was quite a, quite a strange, and I always had that sort of fear. Um, and what I also did with my research is I, I wanted to be as close to the women's experience as possible. I couldn't possibly be, you know, in their, in their shoes, but I chose not to have keys. So because I didn't have keys, I had to go through sort of security processes all the time. And, you know, even things like if you want to go to the loo, you have to ask someone to take you. You have to constantly rely on somebody to shepherd you around the prison. Yeah. Um, but also I felt very much, um, you know, like kind of a little bit trapped because I couldn't leave unless I asked someone to take me out. Um, so it's not, I mean, it's obviously not the same experience that they're going through, but I could really feel that. And I, I think that helped with the authenticity of my research because it meant that I that, that I didn't have that barrier. And what really cemented that for me is when um, in one of the prisons I did the birth companions work, I was able to wear keys. And one of the women I'd met before I was able to wear keys said to me, oh, are you staff now? And I thought, oh, I'm really pleased that I didn't didn't have keys. Right, because they equate the keys to a staff member, yes, which absolutely. might have got in the way of the absolutely. sort of authenticity of your research. Yeah, and there's something about having that belt on and the keys that does... I don't know, I felt that that actually does do something to you in a way that makes you feel a little bit more part of the prison rather than part of... Absolutely. Well, it's the, yeah. the all-powerful keys, right, yeah. isn't it? Well, the yeah. difference of getting yeah. in and getting out and the freedom of movement, yeah. which I and think is such that, a The fear powerful. that you're going to take them home with you. Yeah, which would be, <laughs> land you in all sorts of trouble. Yes, absolutely. Um, so the pregnant women, would they be on the general wing in the main part of the prison? And then maybe could you explain mm. at what point, if they were to be moved onto a mother and baby unit, we have 12 women's prisons, don't we? And we have mm. six mother and baby six, units. Yes. And that can be quite a difficult process, can't it, getting a place on them? Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a really good question because it's, it, the, the inconsistency, you know, even within the same prisons was quite striking too. So um, it's, with regards to getting a place, it's very complex. Um, and again, you know, it, all the checks and balances need to be gone through really carefully, but we find that often the places are quite underutilised and we don't know the numbers exactly of how many mothers and babies are separated. And also we are not quite sure, you know, how many stay with their baby. You know, we don't keep those numbers yet. Mm. Um, when you say we don't keep them, do we yeah, mean the Ministry the, the of Justice ministry, doesn't yeah. gather them? Yeah, I don't know yes. why I say we, actually. Yeah, just, well, <laughs> we're all in this yeah, weird yeah, world together, yeah, aren't we? Yeah. Um, and that's we'll come back to that because... Yeah. Um, I've discussed this a lot with other guests on this podcast in this particular series because there aren't that many no. pregnant women mm. in the system because we don't actually have that many women in the system. Yeah. So it actually wouldn't be the most difficult thing in the whole wide world to gather data on, right? Absolutely not. And it's just sort of one of my real bugbearers yeah. of like, yes. you know, why is yeah. someone in the eight floors of the Ministry yeah. of Justice, why is that data not being gathered? Because how can you write policy and make yeah. policy about these things if you don't have the data to yeah. write the policy from? 
well, I've been told exactly why it can't be Cathed. Okay. Um, why? I, which was the most strange reason. So I was told when I was, I, I think, I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Edward Argar at the time. And he told me that they couldn't keep the data because of confidentiality. And <gasps> it made me think, actually, you know, confidentiality, one, we're keeping data. Data doesn't have you know, names, it does not, it's, it, you know, it's, it's just numbers. Confidentiality from who? I've, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'd understand if it was sort of MI5 yeah. and MI6, but yeah. this is data, Yeah. this is actually health data. Absolutely, and we need, we need to know, we need to know the outcomes for these babies. We know the outcomes for all the babies in, in this country. We, we have massive databases of, of, you know, it's all, everything's, confidential I mean yeah, yeah and this is about the safety and the health of the child yeah. as well as the mother you know this is separate to yeah. the sentence that they're serving for the mm. crime that they may or may not have committed absolutely uh, extraordinary and that was well that was the reason that I was given because that's something that struck me quite early on that why on earth do we not know I think he yeah. didn't know why we don't know yeah. so I had to come Maybe, up with yeah. something it would <laughs> yeah. be my um interpretation of yeah, it yeah it was an interesting I just thought that's that's really interesting because we keep date we keep numbers on I mean, there's nothing you can't do. We keep numbers on everything. Um, but also the, the confidentiality, I mean, where do you draw the line then? Because, no. you know, someone's got diabetes in prison, you know, we've got all yeah. sorts of data on So as it stands else. today, in where are we, March 2023, we don't have the data of how many I, pregnant women are in prison. I don't know... At the, I don't know okay. if the, I think so if we do it's yeah. not easily accessible it's not easily accessible but I think we could find out now I think that's something that has changed okay. from the new Great. policies that are coming out that we do need to know um, and I think that's been a long time coming but you know it, we we absolutely do need to know I mean the the community midwives need to know and the, the midwives in that we're caring for these women need to know as well so it's not yeah, it's it seems it just seems really strange. One of those strange grey areas. Yeah. Yeah. So you do the antenatal groups, and would they take place in the general population, in the main part of the prison, or would they take place in the mother and baby main units? part of the prison? Okay, yeah. yeah. So with with birth companions, they um, it depends on the prison actually, because often it changes where you do them. So um, I think you know, in some of them I've done, they they may be in a visitor centre or they might be in a in in a room somewhere. Um, but we also go and, and visit the mother and baby units as well and do um, groups with mothers with their babies as well. Okay. So that's quite a nice thing. And to I do. guess it depends on what stage of pregnancy the woman's at. So if she's just yeah. found out she's pregnant, that would be different, I assume, if someone was eight months pregnant and sentenced to prison. Yeah. Yeah. What would happen in that situation? They'd still be in the same group. So the group So they'd still go on to general population. Still be on general population. Um usually it's it's quite I mean again when I first started my research there was an assumption that all pregnant women went into um mother and baby units which yeah, is not to the wait case. to have their baby. Yeah. But that's not the case. So what happens is they're heavily they, pregnant on yeah, the general wing on the general wing of a normal prison. Of a normal prison. Bit. Yeah, and then, and then they usually um, it 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 really varies from woman to woman. So what I've from my research, what I noticed that some women didn't know that they had a mother and baby unit place until um, some of them. Oh, okay, they'd know that there was a mother and baby unit there, yes. but they wouldn't know whether they'd been successful. They wouldn't in acquiring know a place. They wouldn't know, or some women would be in prisons without mother and baby units. 
pregnant. So they'd be sort of not quite knowing whether or not they were going to get a place. Um, and if they did, they'd be transferred they'd from be, one prison to another. They would, but usually able. after the birth. Okay. So it didn't usually happen that they would go onto a mother and baby unit whilst they were pregnant. That was during my research. I think some, you know, some women will go on um, when they're pregnant, but because the process is quite difficult, it often takes place quite late on in pregnancy. Um, and I, I think this is something that re really is. I mean, I know there's um, the Trowler Review has very much looked at mother and baby unit places and in prison and what the system that's going on and they're, they're talking very much about changing that process to make it shorter um, so that women know and the project that I'm doing at the moment the lost mothers project that I'm I've started that's going to be looking at those processes as well but it's more looking at the experiences so it's very much an individual thing I found that some women didn't know until they'd actually given birth and um, they were in hospital and then they've been told whether or not they'd get a place I've met women who may have come in a few weeks after having given birth in the community coming in to serve their sentence having to leave their baby outside and then apply once they're actually inside the prison to try and get their their baby and that's been very complex and difficult for some women right so if a woman had given birth in hospital to their baby and they had got a place on the mother and baby unit, mm. the mother and baby would go together to the mother and baby unit. Mm -hmm. If they hadn't been successful, yeah. what happens at the hospital? What happens at the hospital, it depends very much on who is going to be looking after the baby. If the baby's going straight into foster care, that baby will be taken um, by social services. So a social uh, a social service worker turns up and literally and we'll take, walks we'll out take, with the baby. We'll take the baby. And oh that is something, um, again, thinking about separation of from mothers and their newborn babies. Um, there's always going to be situations where a mother and baby can't stay together. But that's an important point, isn't it? Because yeah. in some cases it is appropriate that the yes. child is taken away for its own safety. Yes. For reasons of the mother's behaviour or the sentence, yeah. right? But in many cases, it will just be, well, no, the mother poses no risk to her baby, but there's just not a place or she hasn't been successful in getting a place. It's more about the success. There's usually a place because okay. they're underutilised. It's more about the success. There is an appeals process, but again, that's really complex, really difficult. Um, so it's, it's more about whether or not she's successful in getting a place. And, and what we're finding is that, you know, quite often women are, are separated and we don't quite know why. So we don't know quite what what's actually happened in that situation for her to be separated because if she was in the community she would be looking after her babies um or her children um but she it i think part of it and this is again the research that um, the lost mothers research that we're doing and that's going to be you know in again in conjunction with birth companions their lived experience team um we want to look at and think well you know what is going on why why are these decisions being made is the, is the training not enough? Do we have all the health professionals knowing that prison mother and baby units are actually really, you know, very, you know, Ofsted inspected safe places with, um, you know, with nursery staff, especially tra trained officers there. It's not, it's a prison within the prison. It's not the same as, you know, you're just putting a, a mother and a baby in a cell. And I think there's a misconception sometimes amongst those that might be making the decisions about prison. Um, and also making an assumption about that woman. And it really has to be an individual 
you know, and I know they all work very hard to make these decisions, but sometimes, you know, I've heard officers say to me, but she'd be a really good mum. And, oh. you know, it is, th that decision is, it stays with you forever and ever, you and your, your baby, your child, and it can have devastating consequences. And Absolutely, we, for for yeah, both the for baby both. and the and the mother and sort of the multi generational yeah. trauma, but it's a bit like someone walking off with your leg. I mean, you know, yeah. it's kind of like <laughs> mm. we grow these little babies in our mm. body. So until the umbilical cord yeah. is cut, they are us. Yeah, they are part of mm. our body, yeah. literally, aren't they? And so, everything, yeah. our mind, our body, our emotions, is yeah. all. So the idea that you then see this little thing disappearing out the door when okay. actually you know that you pose no risk to that child. Yeah. And, of course, the naysayers, there's always a group of people who will say, well, she should have thought about that yeah. before she committed the crime. But, of course, what people forget is not everybody's in for a violent crime and 80% of no. women in our prison system are in for non-violent crimes no, and they're low risk. Yeah. So they might be in for a driving offence or their mm. child might have played truant. They might not have paid their TV licence. They might not have paid their council tax. Absolutely. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why yeah. people end up in prison. Um and, of course, some women are in prison because they've been coerced into a crime by a violent male. Yeah. So it's not yeah. quite as clean-cut as saying, oh, well, it's Rosemary West, therefore she shouldn't have a child with her. Okay, I think we could all understand that. Yeah. But it's not Absolutely. always the case that it's that extreme. Yeah. And I think that's a really, uh, you know, important point that the majority of the women that I spoke to in my research were in, like you say, that they, they were... The, I mean, the focus was on their experience rather than on their crime, but the majority of those women were in for non-violent crimes, as you say. Um, I just think about... I mean, I could, I can picture every single woman that I spoke to. I spoke to um, 28 women as part of my research. I can picture every single one of them, every single story. Um, experience really stayed with me. And I, I do think from, from um, what you're just saying there, one particular woman, she was, you know, very young, very early 20s, first offence again as you say it was one of those offences where she may have been coerced by a male in her life and she was in prison with her um pregnant um with her second child and she had a, a younger a, a baby on the outside actually um she didn't know that she could have brought the baby into prison with her uh she wasn't told she was in a prison without a mother and baby unit she didn't know whether or not she was going to get a place in a mother and baby unit quite um you know quite a vulnerable a young woman and it, it really stayed with me the fact that this was somebody who didn't find out till really late on whether she was going to get a place in a mother and baby unit there was nothing wrong with her as a as a mum at all um that her baby was in in the community had been with her there was no reason why you know she wouldn't be able to look after this baby just as well but she didn't know and she she was in one prison and she was moved out of that prison when she went to give birth and then moved into another prison miles and miles and miles away. And it just really made me think about, you know, you build it, even when you're in prison, you build up a community of support amongst the other women that might be on your wing, you know, your padmate, your staff. And then to go out of that prison, to go into hospital, to give birth, and then to be moved, you know, two hours drive away um, from that, you know, that support network and from your family as well uh, with a newborn um with all those issues being you know driven sort of flanked with prison officers and I, it just made me think as well you know what's all this for I mean her sentence was probably about eight months but that in that eight months I mean 
Look well, yeah. at the damage. <laughs> and it was that eight months that she had to serve, or was that eight months in which case she would serve four months? I think, I can't remember with her. Yeah. But it either way, similar. it's such yeah. a sort of small a... amount, you know, it sort of yeah. proves that she posed no risk to no. the community. So no. she really should have had a community sentence. Yeah. We all have a perception of prison before going into prison, and, and it's the same with the women as well. So if you go in when you're pregnant, you've got this perception that it's going to be a really, really, really dangerous place, and I'm going to get hurt and someone's going to knife me in my sleep and they have this perception and I think um, that's quite often especially for the first time and I, I remember speaking to women who would literally want to hide the fact that they were pregnant because they were so terrified that somebody would come and hurt them um, you know and, and that fear was really really real and really palpable and you know women would I remember one woman saying that you know I've, I just wear really baggy tops so no one can see I'm pregnant and you know, it's it's kind of almost like the opposite of, of the majority of pregnant women. Yeah, maybe. and wanting to show wanting off to, and talk yeah. about it. And... and who do you share that experience with? And that yeah. that was... Um, and and I was so fortunate because when women came to talk to me, they were so candid about what they about their experiences. Um, but that was something that, that I hadn't thought about before, that that, that sort of feeling scared um, and feeling really stressed. The yeah. stress was huge. Um, and really, um, one of the biggest stresses was the thought of giving birth in a prison, in a prison cell. Um, and that was something that all the women were scared about. Well, I can imagine, because I was going to go back to that, actually. Mm. So you might be sharing a cell with someone. I presume you'd be on a bottom bunk if um, yeah. if you were heavily pregnant, for the obvious mm. reasons of not being able to get up to the top one heavily pregnant. Um but A, the uncomfortableness of knowing that mm. when you're heavily pregnant, you have to lie in all sorts of strange yeah. ways to try and take the weight of the baby in your tummy. But then thinking, oh, my God, you know, if you started getting contractions or if your waters broke, yeah. and then what? You have yeah. to wait. You don't know how quickly that baby's going to arrive. It could be mm. 48 hours or it could happen in the next yeah. 30 minutes. Well, are you going to get out of the prison in time? Yeah. Are you going to be in the sweat box? Yeah. Or do they get moved in a different type of transport? Or I do mean, they get put in the traditional prison vans? It's again, it's the inconsistency um is has been across the estate. And I know they're trying to I know there's really good will right from the top trying to change that now. Um within my research, I spoke to a woman who'd given birth in her cell and she had a situation, her situation was just horrendous. Was she sharing a cell or was she by herself? She was on her own. Okay. Um, she, um, so this this is a woman, she actually, she knew I was doing my research and she actually sought me out to come and tell me what her situation was and what her story was. And she had, um, she was around eight months pregnant, she was 36 weeks pregnant. And she had told she'd felt that something was happening she'd had a baby before so this was her second baby and she was having pains because she's having contractions she felt and she told the staff and they didn't believe her and she called for help and they didn't believe her and she um ended up uh you know getting to a stage where it was too late her baby was lying breech so that means it's bottom first which is you know so she's premature with a breech baby and no one has believed that this woman is in labour. And she ended up um, birthing in her prison cell, um, this baby coming sort of 
bum and feet first. And, uh, you know, with no one trained to, to help her, to support her. Um, and, you know, without <laughs> thinking about the absolute sort of terror and the fact that this is totally unsafe, um, is some, someone's, you know, the fact she wasn't believed, the dignity of it, you know, the danger of that baby not, you know, needing resuscitation. Now, I know as a midwife, there's there's a load of red flags for me. You know, one, she's 36 weeks. I mean, if I was if I was her midwife, I wouldn't, I, you know... You wouldn't be very far away. No. Because we all know that, well, <laughs> the baby can come at any time, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, because things go wrong and... But, um... It's just horrific. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing to think about is totally horrific. And also, with she didn't know whether she had a mother and baby unit place, so she um, she ended up being transferred to hospital with her baby. And she then that's when she found out that she was going to be put in a mother and baby unit with with her baby. But she didn't know. Um, she had no clothes for the baby. She had, you know, not even the little hats. So she gave on. birth in the cell. In the cell. And then at what point did an officer come in and... What, oh, start, oh now I believe you. Because yeah. there's a baby on the floor. Well, I think... No, she didn't give birth actually on... She had um, an officer and I think she had a nurse that had come down. Right. So then they're like, oh, yeah. we believe you because it's yeah. happening. Yes. And there was it was too late because they could see that the baby was coming. Okay. But she didn't have a midwife with her. And, you know, we... Midwives and doctors, are the, we, we are you know, the qualified people to be able to tell if someone, you know, to be able to assess someone and yeah. say yes or no, you're in labour. And also, it, it's not it's not for anyone to disbelieve somebody. Well, I was going to say, it's such an extraordinary <laughs> thing to be like, I don't believe you. You're not yeah. talking to a child who might have nicked some sweets yeah. and you found the wrappers under their bed or something. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I know. what do you mean you don't believe yeah. me? It's like, Absolutely. why would you make up the fact when you're heavily pregnant that you think you might be in labour? I mean, it's yeah, just, I know. It's just extraordinary. But also, yeah. to be fair to the staff then that are there, yeah. it's really traumatic, I imagine, really having traumatic. to walk into a situation where you know you're yeah. untrained. I mean, I'm obviously not trained as a midwife. If I was anywhere near someone giving birth, yeah. I'd find that really traumatic. I'd do my best. I wouldn't have a clue what to do. Yeah. And if it went wrong, that would live with me for the rest yeah. of my life. So, the so poor it really staff, is an extraordinary absolutely. situation to yeah. allow to happen. It's a really, un, I, that's absolutely right. And it's really unfair to put that on staff, I think. You yeah. know? And it's, I spoke to quite a number of staff for my research and they they would talk to me about their fears and they they. There was no training. I mean, I've been doing some training um, with prison officers and I know the midwives that are in prison do some um, training with prison officers as well. Um, but they're not, they, it's not part of their remit, really. It's not their, it should not be their responsibility. It's really unfair to put them in that position. And also nurses are not trained midwives. They're not, it's, they're not, you know, it's only a registered midwife that's got professional entry into the register to be able to assess and deliver babies I mean it's a legal responsibility it's not something that you know you can misrepresent you have to be legally trained I mean I you know worked as a nurse for years but I'd also done my 18 month training I had to 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 qualify I had to um deliver 40 babies and you know do 100 antenatal checks yeah. plus all the you know degree and everything else that I had to do um to become a competent midwife and also the emergencies so I oh, know, yeah I was yeah. thinking about the amount of things that can go wrong and I've yeah. obviously had lots of friends who've gone through all sorts of different things and whether it's the umbilical cord around the neck or their breech yeah. or you know you tear there's um 
you know, colossal blood loss. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the so list goes things. on. And and it's like you don't know what you don't know. And I think, um, you know, I, from from me, when, when she told me her story, there were so many, like, red flags and it was this massive alarm system going off in my head. I was thinking, oh, she's premature, so the baby's going to lose heat. It's going to need... You're going to make... You're going to need to have a, a warm room without drafts. It's going to have to... Yeah, and a it, sterile environment, yeah. which yeah. a prison cell is not. No, and, and also, you know, just... Things like um, I also know um, if if a baby's born by breach, you're more likely to have a postpartum hemorrhage. It's just one of those things, and ha- to manage a postpartum hemorrhage in a prison where you don't know the f- even the first thing to do, um, because it's it, you know the, uh, as as midwives you're trained, you, you need to stimulate the uterus, so you need the, the you need to be able to do that, and you need to give the drugs, and there's all sorts of things you need to do. So my head was spinning. I was thinking. How on earth could anyone not I mean, want it's to so get... primitive. When you sort of are talking about it out <laughs> yeah. loud, I mean, even though yeah. you've known this for years, yeah. I have to, I wrote a dissertation on mother and baby and it's sort of 20 years ago and it doesn't seem that things have got much better. I'm sure they have got a bit better. Um, but even when you know about it, when you're talking about it out loud, it sounds yeah. like something that would happen in the early 18th century. Yeah, and it's... It's just, just extraordinary. And it's just, it's it's so unfair on the women. Yeah, and it's unnecessary is the other thing, isn't it? It's actually just unnecessary. There's lots of things in the system that we can't change, but there's quite a lot, and that's why I get really animated, as you can tell, because there's quite a lot we can change. Um, And some things that fundamentally should just be done. Yeah. And this obviously being one of them. Um, But my further question on this lady who then, so then she gave birth in her cell... And then does she does she and the baby then get taken to hospital for checks and maybe if she needs um, sort of stitches and a health check? Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. So she's taken to hospital, and I think you asked before how do women get transferred into hospital? So, you know, when somebody's in labour, um, it's it, again, it's it, it really depends where she is. If she's in an open prison, it may be that she's going in a taxi with a, a prison officer or or it may be um, that she's transferred in an ambulance. It depends very much. Okay. And there's always a question around the handcuffs. What was your experience of that? Because there's always a very heated debate. It's always a heated debate, isn't it? Because it's very... Whether it happens yeah, or not. I know. And it's like, well, it's sure it easily answered. It often depends who you ask as well, doesn't right. it? Right. Um, but I think um, with with handcuffs in labour, it's it's a no-no. And But then occasionally women will tell you that it, they, they are cuffed in labour. You're also not supposed to. And in our, our new policy, which is, our, as I say, our hour again. <laughs> yeah. You're very invested no, in no, the topic. <laughs> you know what I mean, don't yeah. you? Um, so the new policy, it, it says that you, should, you shouldn't. And in fact, the policy's always been that they, they shouldn't yeah, be exactly. handcuffed. But what we know about prisons, um, you and I both, is that yeah. there, there's lots of well-meaning policies, mm. but whether people ad- adhere to them yeah. or not is a very different thing. <laughs> very it? much. Um, and I think, again, it's not it's not necessarily the staff's fault because I don't think it's very clear. Um, and, you know, if, 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 you're, if, you're as, if your job is as a prison officer and to guard your... Um, you know your prisoners I can understand why you would be a bit nervous but it needs to be much more clarity um so pregnant women should not be handcuffed when they go to antenatal appointments but did some women that you spoke to say that that had categorically happened absolutely (laughs) I would say that nearly all of the women that I spoke to um had had experience of having going to anti even if they'd gone and their cuffs had been taken off outside the hospital before the antenatal clinic 
um, but also going in with the prison officers. And I think the one huge um, issue with, with my research and the women that I found was shame, was massive. So, again, we're talking about women, the majority have got, you know, non-violent crimes, and they're going into antenatal clinics, which are filled with... With handcuffs know, on, so... Yeah cuffed to their own wrists yeah. or cuffed to an officer? Cuffed to the, or they had the long chains on. Right. So they'd have the, either that or the long chains. Um, so it was really... Um, women would talk about how totally humiliated they were. And remembering that pregnant women are going, going to be going in and out of prison more often than any other prisoner because they're going for maybe consultant appointments, they may be going for scans. They're often more high risk anyway because they may have, um, you know, lifestyles that might make them sort of have more medical problems anyway. So they're going to be going in and out of hospital to prison, backwards and forwards. They don't know when they're going because they're not told. Um, and they feel that shame and that women would say, you know, everyone's looking at me and it, oh, I've got all the mums and dads and I feel so ashamed and humiliated. It's so embarrassing. I've, people are looking at me like I'm a serial killer. And, you know, that that was the the, the thing that came across a lot from all the women I spoke to, actually, was that feeling of shame and embarrassment and humiliation and feeling judged. And it was felt... It felt really unfair and that added another layer of stress for women. So, I mean, again, that sort of... It's another thing where control is completely taken away. So most of us are, you know, if we're going if we're going to hospital to have a scan. You you might you know you might be nervous, you might be excited, but you would know when. Um, you might be able to take someone with you. Um, you might be able to talk about it with you know your friends, or you might be able to share your fears. When you're in prison, you don't know when you're going for that scan. So you get no. a knock on the cell door. Right, we're going for a scan. So you haven't had a time, and I don't know about you, but when I, whenever I've gone, you know, when you go to hospital visits or go to see your midwife, or you know, you might shave your legs, or you might, you know, just yeah. you, 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 you might yourself not have prepared. Yeah, you want to be <laughs> poking around on yeah. your body. Yes, yeah, so yeah. You, you know, it's those sorts of things that just strip away a little bit more of that control for her and and for her experience and and all of those things were a really big deal um just just not knowing not knowing when and again you know there's two sides and if if we would speak to the prison service of course you can't tell everybody when they're going to be going out but I think it, it's something that I I hadn't thought about before yeah so. and also of course when you go out for a scan Sometimes it scans, you're told some particularly distressing yeah. news mm. and you can find out that your baby is unwell or might yeah. not survive the pregnancy. Um, and I guess that's another issue if, the, if people don't have the support with them yeah. um, other than a prison officer who might not know what to say. Absolutely. Um, sort of sensitive topic. Did you come across anyone who then might have had to have a termination or decided they wanted a termination does that sort of come into it much or is that sort of not really talked about? And... I mean, it's a really good question, but I, I mean, with my research, it was focused on women that wanted to continue with their pregnancy. But right. you're absolutely right to bring that up because it's, it, is a, it is a massive issue. Um, you know, again, it's not something that I've researched, so it's not my area of expertise, mm. but it's it's really important area of reproductive justice for women. And, when... and especially when you sort of think about the women who um, are raped, yeah, and understandably mm -hmm. might not want to go forward with that pregnancy. And if they've been raped by a family member and have become yeah. pregnant, I mean, it's really...
horrendous sort of topic, isn't it? But um, yeah. But they're all things that we've come across and it's all things that, um, you know, again, with terminations, it's something, it's, it's so personal and it's so private. And of course, you know, if you're in prison, you have to have somebody escort you to have that termination. And, you know, it's not just thinking about the woman, you're thinking about the staff and how difficult that must be for the staff to, to manage. You know, you might you might have a, a, a woman prison officer who might be tr- struggling to conceive herself or... Exactly. There may or be might also, have had a miscarriage absolutely. and might not agree with the yeah. fact that someone's having a termination. I mean, it's just it's, sort of... It, it is a complete minefield. And and I think it's a, it's, it's a really... Again, it's a really important area. And, you know, when we're thinking about women's imprisonment, it's something that... It's, it's something we need to think about as well, you know, from that choice element. And also... The timing, because you know, I I think you know women in may that might be in early pregnancy or may find out early may want to have a termination, you know, as soon as possible earlier in their pregnancy. But when your timetable is sort of um, dictated by the prison system, it's things are very slow. You know, with with prison, the wheels turn so much slower than uh, you know on the outside. So it's very difficult, and how disempowering it is for her to not be able to, you know, make that decision with the health professionals in the timely way that she might want to. Yeah. There were two high-profile cases of um, two babies that sadly died, wasn't there, in two particular prisons that hit the media and was covered by the papers in HMP Bronzefield and HMP Style. And, of course, the one in Bronzefield, the young care leaver Mm. that she was, she was on remand wasn't she? And she went into labour, as you discussed, like the lady you're talking about, and no one came, no one came, and she had the baby, didn't she? And the baby died. And she was then found in her bed with her dead baby, having wrapped it up um, in blankets. So since then, I believe that um, there has been quite a bit of attention Mm -hmm. that has gone towards how we organise ourselves inside prisons. Um, Can you talk a bit about what's sort of come out of that? Yeah, and I mean, what... Oh, and by the yeah, way, should yeah. I I just need yeah. to add yeah. that young care leaver who went through that was then found not guilty. Yes. And so she left prison. So that whole yeah. situation was completely avoidable. Absolutely. Had she not she been remanded, 18, she was 18. years old. Yeah. To go through that. I mean, even now talking about it gives me goosebumps. Oh, me too. Just and awful. for the trauma of the prison officer who yeah. eventually came in yeah. to find this scene. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't bear thinking yeah, about. Yeah, it's horrific. For and actually, mm. you know, then my mind goes to the responsibility as an employer of those staff. Yeah. How is it possible? Yeah. That that happens. No, <laughs> just, I, I, I don't. I, I just don't, I have no words. For it. I mean, I, I, it, again, it is it is just staggering. I mean, those two. I mean, I remember vividly when those cases when I heard about those cases and I know it sounds really strange but I felt really guilty um and it's because I had alerted I'd alerted the prison system when I did my research so I did my research back in you know I did my field work 2015-2016 and I had alerted the prison service about my findings um I'd spoken to care quality commission about my findings the health inspector about my findings so I felt you know, that I really needed to get something done. And I really, I think I said to you earlier about needing to finish my doctorate really, you know, within a really sharp time frame, even though, 
you know, it was just going on. Yeah, it, it would have been. Yeah, time. I really needed to finish it. Um, I I involved, I involved the media. Um, so I spoke on various radio programs. I spoke, you know, again not on my own, but I did it um, with birth companions. We spoke, um, you know, we had articles in the Guardian about women birthing in cells and how something had to be done. Um, I an amazing um, politician who you know, um, I think, Carolyn Harris, um, raised this in parliamentary questions and, you know, we we talked and she actually said we need mandatory standards. So that was in 2017-2018. I gave evidence at Joint Human Rights Committee. Um, Dame Doreen Lawrence asked me questions about uh, births in cells. I told told the Joint Human Rights Committee about the dangers and how, you know, we how, how worried we were. And it, again, not just on my own, this is the whole group of us saying how terribly worried we were that something, a tragedy was going to occur. So when I heard about those deaths, I just felt awful. I thought, I haven't done enough. I genuinely thought I haven't done enough. And I really, and I, it had always been my worry. And it kind of, because it came true, I just felt horrified about that um but yeah that the changes it has driven through the changes quite rightly it should have in my opinion the changes should have come when before yeah. before and you know we don't know who knows whether we'd have been able to prevent these awful awful tragedies for these two you know poor young women that just shouldn't should never ever have happened um but it's the changes are good um, in terms of we've now got the statutory policy. And I've been are they part, being yeah. adhered to? Because this um, comes back yeah, to yeah. my policies are great <laughs> yeah. and they look great on a piece of paper. And it's really great yeah. listening to people talk about policies yeah. when you're in a prison. Um, yes. How much faith do you have just question. slightly playing devil's no. advocate No, that's that they're being question. adhered to? Well, um, the, uh, there's some positives in the fact that um, the Ministry of Justice and the women's team are very engaged with people like myself. So I meet with them on a regular basis and and basically hold them to account. They hold, you know, we and they want to be held to account. Yeah. Um, there's some really good will there. They, they don't want these tragedies to happen. So it's good that now we are working together because I think before we weren't. Yeah. Um, so it's, again, it's not just me. It's all, you know, really important people in in charge of healthcare around the country all come together to talk and social care talk about and and I have um set up um with prison midwives in this country we've got the prison midwives action group so we meet on a regular basis online and that's a supportive group where we you know come together and because it's a hard job out there doing doing this all the things that we're talking about um so they're they're a great group of midwives and and they will tell me what's going on on the ground so I'm able to feed back to the women's team about things saying, hang on a minute, this isn't happening, that's not happening. So that's in that way, they are very willing to, to hear what's not going right. So the policy is, as you said, it's it, beautifully written. It's a re- it's a, it is. It's a really good policy. But, I mean, I don't think... I, I can't speak for everything. I mean, I think there's a goodwill there trying to, but, you know, it's not... It can't, it can't possibly be, while we're still locking up pregnant women 
they're also they're so individual. I don't think we can possibly apply all of this policy to every pregnant woman across yeah. the state. The policy is probably quite long, but could you yeah. give me the sort of headlines of what the recommendations were and what they say now must happen? One of the key things is that we now have um, their PMBLOs, which are, right. I can never remember. What <laughs> as well. um, so that's prison, mother and baby unit liaison officers. Okay, I think. well done. Pregnancy or pregnancy. Pregnancy, yeah. It so liaison officers. Liaison officers. Right. So these are um, officers who uh, have a special interest and have some, some some training in caring for pregnant women and new mothers. And and I think the, the main thing is that they this is their motivation, they're supportive um, officers that, that want to work together with um, the pregnant women. So that that's quite nice in the sense that there's a that's a new layer of support for the pregnant women however they are not midwives and it, it's great that we have them but you doesn't know, go far enough it doesn't go far yeah. in my eyes it doesn't go far enough at all I think you know I, I you know I'd probably be as bold to say that I think we should really really rethink whether we even send pregnant women to prison at all well exactly because you know people will often say well it's too expensive to maybe have a midwife if you've got you might have a whole prison um of women and none of them are pregnant Mm. right so i guess it's difficult to sort of work out the staffing on that um so therefore there's another Mm. option isn't there which is to say they can serve their time in another way unless it's a particularly risky violent person who might need um to go to prison absolutely in which case yeah. they'd probably have their child removed off them anyway. Yeah. Even the most vulnerable situation, even the most heinous crime that we can think of, if we still need to provide care for her. So um, even, I, I, I do think the majority of pregnant women probably shouldn't be in prison or like you say, there's other countries do it. You know, there, there's there's many countries around the world that don't lock up their pregnant women, mainly for these, these sorts of reasons. So um, I think... When you see the stress on the staff as well, and now more than ever, there's a lot of um, stress and strain because they know the eventuality of what can happen. So when I've done training with prison officers, so I've been doing that a little bit with Unlocked Grads. Right. I don't know if you might, yes. might have heard of them. Yeah. That's, a, that's another great organisation. So, Absolutely. Um, so, they, so doing um, training with with the prison officers, and it has been like, when I've, when I've talked to them about um, obviously, I'm, I'm doing some sort of training in, you know, what to do if a baby, if say if a baby is born in a cell and it's not breathing, what do you do? So I, we go through these scenarios. What do you do? And the, and and it is, and, and just training the very basics, like you you need to make sure that the umbilical cord stays attached to the mother. You're not going to go cutting that uh, at all. You need to make sure the baby's warm and dry, because babies that lose heat, they stop breathing, and teach them about doing just the, a little bit of breathing for that baby and also I teach them about the very first line of you know if someone has a postpartum hemorrhage what to do you know and and again what's the reaction out of interest because even <laughs> just a, listening to it, I used to think I oh my god that's it, such that a responsibility reaction? because yeah. prison officers you know get trained yeah. for what is it six yeah. to eight weeks and you now get a little bit of mm 
difference in training depending on whether you're going to a male prison or a female prison and you often don't know whether you're yeah. going to end up working with men or women. It's like sort of apples and pears yeah. for, for these exact reasons that Absolutely. we're talking about. So yeah. what's the sort of reaction from officers? Actually, slightly... we're going to get them out. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're going to get them out. With, yeah. You know, the slightest twinge. Um, but I think... I think what it does is it, it really um, cements the, the, their responsibilities, where their responsibilities lie. So what it does, it says, because what I found speaking to women is that they're often not believed. So when they say, I'm really worried that my baby's not moving, it's like, oh, you know, she just wants to trip out. You know, and you do hear that, and that sounds quite cynical, but that that's that's yeah. the reality. Yeah. Um, you know, or well, she's having a few twinges, but she's not in labour. Um, it's not. You're better safe than sorry, and I think what comes out of this is that to listen to women and to believe. Well, exactly. Her. And if you have someone who's unqualified, you know, how can they say? Oh, it's just Braxton Hicks yeah. contractions, or it's nothing. Yeah. They're not qualified to make that judgment. No. Absolutely not, and it's it's a breach of, of of a very sort of serious rule that is in statute, which is the, I think it's Nursing Midwifery Council two thousand and one that says nobody can make these decisions, and it's in law. You know, so you've got prison officers. I mean, then I, I don't think anyone's meaning to do it, but you might have nursing staff and prison officers who say, "Oh no, no, you're not in labour," or um, that it's actually a breach of the law because you're not supposed to be making those decisions yeah. at all. This comes back to the accountability, doesn't yeah. it? And who, you know, with this new policy, who mm. is it? If you don't have anyone who's in that prison checking the whole time that these policies are adhered to, yeah. they're nothing, are they? Yeah, and I suppose it's the governing governor that ultimately has that responsibility. Yeah. Um, but I think, again, it's just, it comes back to... The situation that you know it's unpredictable i mean there's one thing that you do know with pregnancy it, it is going to continue until it's it, it's not continuing forever it's going to end at some stage with her going into labor so we have to be prepared for that yeah we know and it's an inevitability I, I was one so, way or another yeah i was so shocked when i did my research it was almost like there's no planning yeah there's no planning and it is unbelievable isn't it you just like cannot we we are in 2023 there's people talking about artificial intelligence and you know and then you sort of hear and see these things and it really hurts my brain sometimes because I'm like this isn't possible well I used I, I would be in the prison thinking what it's going on, you know. Well, I, I, I just, and I, I also thought when I was doing my research, no one is ever going to believe this because yeah. it's just like it sounds so far fetched. Yeah. Um, and again, in some of the prisons now, we have specialist midwives who have protected time for their midwifery duties. Um, to and they're specific, specialised prison midwives, but that's not in all prisons. There's some prisons that will, you know, you've still got midwives who are out in the community and it's part of their community caseload to go into the prison okay so they just go into yeah. the prison every now and again yeah and and their response they have that as part of their caseload and they we have to in if we've got pregnant women in this country in our prisons we have to have specialist midwives in our prisons and i can i cannot for the life of me think why we don't have that in all of our prison yeah. checks. I think that is a bit of a travesty, actually. Because that's the thing, you know, people talk about mm. sort of the cost of things and resources. Yeah. And it's like, again, to get it into perspective, yeah. there's 12 women's prisons. Yeah, I know. It's not... In the grand scheme of things, when you think <laughs> yeah. of HS2 and you think yeah. of the cost of Brexit and the cost of going to war and all these yeah. things that are, are realities that are happening in our country. It's yeah. like 12 
Just 12 midwives. I, I mean, I for Christ's sake. Yeah. It's not. You know, it's not a big ask, is it? Exactly. And then, you know, you get you get you get brilliant work out of those twelve midwives as yes. well. You know, you really. I mean, the the midwives that I know that are working in our prisons are just amazing, and they are working with some of the most complicated, complex, you know, challenging situations. And you know, they're often um, a little bit outside of this. That's why we've got this support because they're often outside of any other sort of support. It's it's really like we're talking about, you know, no one will believe us. This is this is so, such a far-fetched world. So the, the 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 midwives that are working in prison, it's outside of most people's experience and remit as well that they don't they don't yeah. see this. Um, and it's another thing that I I've been re- been sort of going on about is like on the health inspectorate that goes into prisons. Now, how on earth can we hold the prisons to account if we don't have a midwife on that health inspectorate? You know, they, I I've been saying this for years, and I don't understand that we, why we don't have somebody who, you know, not just not just a midwife, but a midwife that understands prisons on our health inspector who can really go and see that actually, yeah, these changes are happening on the ground, or and hold the prison system to account. And that's something I think is really important that needs to be brought. Yeah, brought do you think up. it's a hangover from the fact that the prison service sort of still is in many ways very much a sort of a man's world and it's a masculine system and obviously women are shoehorned in which is why I think we've got now a bit of a legacy of these things not being looked at talked about mm. you know it's changing a bit now it's sort of the work that you're doing and the research you're allowed to do um and that's all great but I sort of sometimes wonder if this was an issue that affected men that maybe it would have changed quicker um I don't know what do you feel about that I think it would have done when I first started doing the research the word midwife didn't appear anywhere in anything. There was no, I just, we were just complete, we were, we were as invisible as the, as the women really. And I, I thought, I thought that was really odd. Um, it was almost like, you know, again, I've been a nurse, I've trained as a nurse and then trained as a midwife. I, it, it's, it's a very different job. It's like saying a, um, a physio is the same as a paramedic. It's not. We, we're a quite distinct profession that have distinct responsibilities. And I, I was staggered that, we weren't mentioned anywhere, especially when we are, you know, in this country that we provide care for all pregnant women in this country. So I didn't get that. I no. didn't understand. I mean, it's there everywhere now. We've made sure. No. Um, so we have moved. Yeah, so it's been a, a depressing. Bit, yeah. It's been a depressing topic, hasn't it? And it is. But um, but to forward. sort of end yeah. on a high, would you say? I know it's baby steps. Pardon the pun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But do you feel like we are now on a more positive trajectory and there are things that we can all build on? I think there's things that we can definitely build on. My worry is that, you know, like like we said about the staffing, that there's, it, the, the system is sort of creaking, yeah. isn't it? In an ideal world, we could you know, all the things that we can provide, we, we know what we need to do. The policy's there now. We know absolutely what we need to do. But if you're doing that with a sort of very thin on the ground staff. It's well, exactly, difficult. because even if you have a midwife yeah. with a woman in her cell, you know she's about to go and labour, you think you can get her to hospital, but it might take you 40 minutes to get her from her cell yeah. into mm. the transport yeah. just because you need to get through all these locked doors. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I guess, you know, with the greatest will in the world, Prisons are prisons. The architecture is the architecture. Um, so um, just quickly, I want to finish on talking a little bit about when a mother is in a mother and baby unit with her baby and the points of separation. 
Yeah. Because I know there's two different ages, aren't there? There Depending are. on the length of sentence. I think so. I mean... I sort of seem yeah. to remember from my dissertation yeah, 20 I years think, ago, and I don't know if it's changed. Yeah, again, I didn't... My focus wasn't on the sort of older baby so much, okay. but it was... But I... Because I spent time in mother and baby units, um, it's usually around 18 to 20 months, which, um, you know, it, it's an unusual situation to be in in the first place, I think because of those longer sentences, but it has, I have seen it happen um, where a, a mother and baby, a, a toddler, are separated. And you can see with these little toddlers, they are ready to sort of move out of that environment. Right. However, it's, it's very, I mean, I, I just can't imagine what it must feel like to have a baby removed and, and a, like a toddler removed from your, your care it must be just, awful totally and um, particularly at that age you know when yeah. they're small and I remember with mine my husband couldn't even take one of the babies off me yeah. without that baby having a complete meltdown yeah. because that baby just wanted to be with me I was the food giver I was yeah. the you know you are as the mother yeah um and it it just yeah again it's it's sort of doesn't bear thinking about really I think does it? the prisons do I think they take a lot of care over this and I know it's not just a sudden removal in those cases so it's a really um careful they have you know it's a gradual thing over sometimes over months where the baby will go and stay outside with family members so I don't think it's something that the prisons just do sort of suddenly yeah um so they, they're quite careful about this because obviously the damage to that that baby it's just I mean it, I, I can't imagine you know again as a mum I just cannot imagine that myself I don't know how these mm. women you know that's something that I did feel the women that I met you know all the women that I've met in prison they've been the resilience I just think a lot of us would just crumble there's a huge amount of resilience that, that these women have have on board just through their life experiences that they're going through but um and that's something again you know the new research that I'm doing uh that I want to focus very much on their women's experiences even if women even if we know that the woman is never going to be allowed to have a baby with her we still need to make sure that there's appropriate care for her mm. even if she has um, committed something really terrible that she can't have a baby I mean that's something that's important so hopefully the new research will have some more recommendations coming out about how we wrap that care around her great and so when's she's... that um, likely to be published that all um well we've just started it so okay. i think you're going to be speaking to um one of the lived experience team about um about the research so we've just started so it's literally just started in december okay so we're doing this with in conjunction with birth companions and also the lived experience team and you must have a look at the logo that's been designed because that's been designed by the women oh, for amazing. the project it's just oh just blown us all away and the name of that research or is the title lost mothers lost so, mothers yeah if you look at lostmothers.org okay. um and again i um when we had a workshop recently i wanted to check with the women that the title reflected how their own experience and 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 they're very clear that that does reflect how they felt very sort of lost out at sea you know in between spaces it was very poignant actually how the women really identified with that title lost mothers so 
really I'm going to be interviewing um, prison staff, health visitors, midwives, social workers. I want to really unpick what's going on and also looking at the mother and baby boards, looking at the processes. And I've got three amazing research assistants who just oh, joined us. And they're so, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'll meet them at some stage. So they're, they're brilliant and um, they're very keen to sort of They've literally just joined us this week, so yeah. it's fantastic. So we've got quite a good team working on this. Um, Brilliant. Well, you'll have to come back and tell oh, us definitely. about that research once it's once yeah, it's out definitely. there. Yeah, definitely. And hopefully that will makes it help make some changes. Well, thank you so much. It's been fascinating talking to you. It's such a big topic. Um, of course, it is slightly um, sort of depressing, but we like to be optimistic. Yes, definitely. and of course, if we don't have people like you doing this work, none of the rest of us can can sort of get behind you and help so um you know it's uh, it's great the work that you're doing and fingers crossed in a couple of years time you'll be able to come back and we'll talk about all the positive things that have happened and the difference we're making so yeah thank you so much thank you thanks very much for having me in our next episode we will be continuing the exploration of pregnancy and birth in the justice system we'll be delving deeper into some of the data and hearing from a woman who has lived experience of pregnancy in prison and works with Laura on the Lost Mothers Project team. Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review and best of all, share this episode. Justice is produced for one small thing by the London Podcast Company. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 